Well, three, two, one, and we are live. So for those of you just uh, tuning into this podcast, this is Tim with Anti-Media Network, and I'm on the phone with James H. Fetzer, who is a uh, professor, and you may have seen his work with the JFK, 9-11 conspiracies, uh, Sandy Hook, and you also, um, James, you co-founded or founded the Scholars for 9-11 Truth? What was, um... I founded the Scholars for 9-11 Truth in December 2015 and invited Steve Jones to be my co-chair. And please do call me Jim. Excellent. All right, Jim. Thank you. Okay, well, um, what I wanted to start with is, I think like a lot of people, um, 9-11 opened my eyes. You know, maybe not specifically uh, to, to what exactly I was looking at, but it's one of those things that gives you an insight that there is something being covered up, distorted, and hidden. And so to me, I think it represented um, a break of trust with the experts. And that's kind of what I wanted to talk about today is trust. Because it seems like the media is able to tell us what is going on in the world, and we're just expected to uh, regurgitate it, accept it, maybe criticize it, but accepting it. And so if you question what they're presenting, you're called a conspiracy theorist. So it used to be, if you believed in Bigfoot or, or UFOs, you're a conspiracy theorist. Now, disagreeing with Anderson Cooper, you know, puts in that category. And so um, I guess I kind of want to start with that. Um, what, what are your thoughts on the term conspiracy theorist? Does that describe what you do in any way? Well, I, I have been asked the question before and suggested I preferred the terms conspiracy analyst or conspiracy realist because conspiracies are as common and ubiquitous as apple pie. Uh, oh, oh, in fact, it's the most widely prosecuted crime in the United States, conspiracy to commit burglary, conspiracy to fraud, whatever. Most American conspiracies turn out to be economic. But the phrase, in fact, was introduced by the CIA in a memorandum to its agents about 1965 on how to cope with critics of the Warren Commission. And you'll see they performed a subtle sleight of hand because the critics were principally falsifying the Warren report. They were pointing out that there were gaps, lacunae, problems, inconsistencies, that the evidence in the supporting volumes contradicted the conclusions and the summary, the 888 summary report referred to as the Warren report, uh, you know, that the Mandelker Carcano was a piece of junk. Actually, it was known as a humanitarian rifle in World War II for never harming anyone on purpose. It would have been a ridiculous choice for an assassination. Experts refused to even test fire the weapon given attributed to Oswald until it was rebuilt. They introduced shims. They had to adjust the telescopic sight. Lee, by the way, and I say this as a former Marine Corps officer who used to supervise recruit training where I had 15 DIs and 300 recruits under my command, was not taught to use a telescopic sight. He was not taught to use a bolt-action rifle. He was not taught to fire at a moving target from a tall building. In fact, the best sniper in the Marine Corps, Gunny Carlos Hathcock at Quantico, attempt to replicate the shooting and was unable to do it and very reasonably inferred that if he, if he were unable to do it, then Oswald, who, who fired a, a 212 at one point, but then didn't even qualify, didn't go to the range the following year and then fired a, a 
191, which is barely qualifying. I mean, there, there are three categories of marksmanship in the Marine Corps. Uh, sharpshooter, uh, I mean, uh, marksman from uh, 190 to 209, then sharp, sharp, uh, uh, sharpshooter from 29 to 219, and then expert from 220 up out of 250. This is five positions with... Uh, 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 you know, 50 points possible at each position. Uh, Oswald was a mediocre shot. Um, he, there's no evidence he had any, uh, maintained any marksmanship ability from the time he left the Marine Corps uh, to the, you know, the time of the event in uh, Dallas. In fact, it's very clear he was set up. He actually appears to have been recruited by the Office of Naval Intelligence when he was in San Diego. Uh, that he was uh, that year. See, so he, he qualified in 57 with a 212. I fired 212 myself. That's not bad. It's not great, but it's not bad. Then the following year, he didn't turn out to the rifle range, which is stunning because uh, it, it's a general order in the Marine Corps that every Marine from the highest ranking general, including the commandant of the Marine Corps himself to the lowest ranking private, must qualify with a rifle every year without exception which tells me he was on special assignment probably at Monterey, the language school, learning Russian. Then the following year, he qualified with that 191. That would be, you know, 1959. And then we have those years in between, including, you know, he was stationed at Sugi. I mean, just to give you one illustration of the absurdity of this whole scenario involving Oswald, he was stationed at Sugi, our most secure military base, in Japan from which uh, U-2 overflights were taking place. Uh, then he did a pseudo defection to the Soviet Union and it appears to have been intended to bring them information about the altitude of the U-2 flights which is a radar operator possessed because the Soviets knew these flights were taking place but were uh, unable to shoot it down because they didn't know the altitude. Uh, the, 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 there was about to be a summit between Khrushchev and Eisenhower, but, uh, you know, Khrushchev accused the United States of spying on the Soviet Union. Eisenhower predictably denied it. Then Khrushchev produced the pilot, Francis Gary Powers, and parts of the U-2, which they had shot down. Uh, uh, L. Fletcher Prouty, by the way, who was a conduit between the CIA and the Pentagon and in the White House for covert activities, believes they actually shorted the fuel. They had the fuel gauge make it appear as though he had a full tank when actually it was only partially full to guarantee it would come down. Either way, Khrushchev embarrassed Eisenhower and the summit was aborted, which meant that an event that was intended to reduce Cold War tensions instead actually exacerbated them. When Oswald returned to the United States after marrying the, the niece of a KGB colonel, he wasn't treated as though he had been a traitor. Instead, he was given money by a CIA front organization to relocate. She wound up in Dallas uh, 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 at the home of a Ruth Payne, who actually turns out to have been working for the CIA. He went to New Orleans, for, where he was handing out fair play for Cuba pamphlets uh, with a group of other CIA operatives in front of the trademark. Uh, I offer all of this because it's a kind of evidence that the critics of the Warren Commission were reporting. And, and it was devastating stuff because it makes it incredibly implausible that this guy could have been uh, the lone assassin of JFK. We've gone even right. further. 
well, it turns out that, that, yeah, just one or two more remarks, and I'll get let, let you back in. Wagner Carr, who was the attorney general of Texas at the time, actually launched his own investigation and discovered almost immediately that Lee was working as a informant for the FBI. He had informant number 179. He was being paid $200 a month uh, right up to the time of the assassination, which is the reason why his W-2 forms absurdly have been unavailable to the public where the government claims it cannot access the tax records for the alleged assassin of the president. I mean, all this stuff is so blatant, so obvious, that the government had to do something to cope with the critics. So by introducing the phrase conspiracy theorists, they, they affected a, sh a shift in the burden of proof, thereby implying that unless the critics knew everything there was to know in detail about you know who had been where, uh, firing which shots and so forth, who was responsible and why they weren't entitled to even address the issues when precisely the opposite was the case. It was a very clever move. And notice how they've expanded it now to anyone who's skeptical about the moon landings or about 9-11 or about Sandy Hook or the Boston bombing, on and on and on, uh, where I have brought together experts on all of these cases, even published books about them, which you can find at moonrockbooks.com, and the belief that the American people are entitled to know the truth about their own history. So that, I'm sure, is a much more lengthy and complex answer than you expected, but this whole thing about the phrase a conspiracy theorist is a, is a psyop on the American people in order to minimize our ability to think clearly about these issues, to, to assess the relationship between evidence and hypotheses and theories, which happens to be my area of expertise as a philosopher of science. I spent 35 years offering courses in logic, critical thinking, and scientific reasoning, and there's nothing I enjoy more than comparing alternative theories vis-a-vis -vis the available evidence were the key to many of these cases, not only uh, JFK, uh, but also the moon landing, also 9-11, also Sandy Hook, also the Boston bombing, is to sort out the authentic from the inauthentic evidence. Because once you do that, once you realize that, for example, the autopsy x-rays were altered to conceal a fist-sized blood at the back of the head, uh, that there's actually evidence of a second shot to the head in the x-rays, that the brain shown in the diagrams and photographs of the National Archives can't be the brain of JFK, that the whole movies were massively altered to conceal the true causes of death. Once you sort those things out, it becomes fairly obvious who is responsible and why and how it was done. Great. Well, that's why I reached out to you. Um, no one understands it better than you do in terms of this a really clever move, which is introducing a term that makes any critics of the mainstream media automatically a heretic for all intents and purposes, and then it places the burden of proof, and that's the other main thing. So the burden of proof has been shifted to the consumers of the media instead of the other way around, the ones who are presenting the extraordinary evidence. So you mentioned how unlikely it is that Oswald could have completed uh, the the actions ascribed to him based on the impossibility because of the weapon he was using and his lack of training. Well, how similar is that to what we see with almost every one of these fake school shootings like Adam Lanza? Adam Lanza, a 90-pound weakling kicking down a, a kicking through a window, uh, his kill ratio was almost, what, 100%. I mean, that is 
fantastical. It's extraordinary. And yet, because the media presents it, we are required to believe it. And if we don't, we are outgrouped, we're chastised, we're called a conspiracy theorist, a kook, and everything else they can throw at you. You know, they really shoot the messenger on this. So the burden of proof is the main thing. And I think you're right. At that point, the media really played a clever trick in shifting that burden to where now we're kind of at their mercy. And so, you know, to bring it to the current events, we almost see the same pattern every time where even the backstory to the shooters in these different events makes very little sense. So let's take, for example, Adam Lanza. Do you believe Adam Lanza actually existed as a person or as a patsy or is he a complete fabrication? I'm inclined to believe he was a fabrication. We've actually been able to establish that they created the Adam Lanza home by taking an empty house and furnishing it in the book, Nobody Died at Sandy Hook, which I published on 22 October 2015, bringing together 13 experts on Sandy Hook, including six current or retired PhD professors, one of whom, Dr. Eowyn, who maintains a fellowship of the Minds website, had already published 80 articles on Sandy Hook. I myself at the time had already published 30. Uh, we uh, established a school that had been closed by 2008 that there were no students there. It was loaded with asbestos and other biohazards damaged by a hurricane. There turns out to have been a major flood in the area of 2007. They'd abandoned the school. Uh, uh, it was actually a FEMA drill. We even have the manual for the two-day exercise, which explains the uh, mix and variety of evidence uh, that we were getting broadcast from Newtown that very day, but specifically uh, about the house. In Chapter 7, uh, we have 50 photographs of them furnishing this empty house to serve as the Adam Lanza residence. Uh, among the many indications that this was uh, uh, an empty house or the fact that you have Adam Lanza's bedroom, both neat and uh, tidy, but it can't have been uh, both neat and tidy when it was uh, encountered. And for a proper forensic investigation, you're going to record exactly how it was, which would have been either neat or tidy. Instead, they have versions of both, so they haven't decided how they were going to present it. In the Nancy Lanza bedroom, it's interesting, where Adam is alleged to have shot his mother with a 22 caliber rifle, Although in the official report about the whole Sandy Hook event, uh, Stephen Sedensky, who's a state attorney from uh, Danbury, acknowledged there were no fingerprints on the rifle uh, uh, of an Adam Lanza. There was one print from a, a felon in a distant state, and I don't believe it's ever actually been pursued. Uh, probably a, a previous owner of the weapon, for all I know. But the fact is... You have some red stuff on the bed, but it's not blood. It looks like it might be uh, raspberry jam. There's a cedar chest with papers on it, forms. They were keeping records of how they were arranging the furniture. And then Kelly Watt, who's an avid Sandy Hook student with her keen eye, who has her own home and commercial cleaning service, knows the blue moving pad beneath the leg of the bed that they'd forgotten to remove in their haste. We also have 50 photographs in Chapter 8 of them uh, refurbishing the school to serve as the stage for the event. Uh, one more point, a very key tell about the house uh, being empty is there's nothing on any of the walls. You have no paintings, no photographs, no decorations. 
Uh, I mean, it's virtually unheard of to have a home people are actually occupying that doesn't have various decorations, forms of art, and so forth on the walls. But this is completely bereft, no doubt, because the uh, real estate agent was worried that she didn't want to have to, you know, do patchwork on the house when it might subsequently be sold. Of course, eventually they simply demolished it, just as they would demolish the school to ensure that it couldn't be any further forensic investigation, for example, discovering there was no DNA, no fingerprints or residue of any member of Alonzo family in this uh, house that they simply appropriate for the purpose at the school. Uh, we have a series of photographs, and these, by the way, were taken by the Connecticut State Police themselves who were actually running the op behind the scene. This is a Barack Obama, Eric Holder, Daniel Malloy, uh, Malloy Newtown School Board, uh, fake families uh, e event taking place here under the auspices of FEMA, two-day drill, rehearsal on the 13th, going live on the 14th. Um, uh, we, so we even have photographs of the moving van coming in. Uh, uh, we have all kinds of photographs of the school, by the way, before, uh, you know, from the inside, it was just in deplorable condition, moss, cracked walls, uh, virtually like graffiti. They had all kinds of furniture stashed up against the walls. It was, uh, we have videos that we put up and you have former teachers saying, yes, that's what they do with abandoned schools. They use them for storage. You even have, you know, Corona beer cartons with for storing stuff in it, but pushed up to the walls even of classroom 10. Now, the most important tell there is a photograph of a SWAT team vehicle present before the crime is committed. Now, that's how I identified it in the first edition of the book, which after Amazon banned, I released for free as a PDF, so anyone can download it for themselves. A friend has estimated it's been downloaded over 10 million times. So a lot of Americans really are knowledgeable about Sandy Hook. Uh, just enter the title, Nobody Died at Sandy Hook, uh, and you can have it on your own desktop for free, and all the images are in color, which is a great advantage. So it's not hard copy where you can uh, obtain the second edition from uh, moonrockbooks.com. But to continue, you can see just above the SWAT team vehicle, and I now am given to understand it was actually a crime scene investigation vehicle, four windows of classroom 10 that are undamaged. Now that's significant because after the event, the second of the four windows in particular would be shot out. We even publish in, in addition for comparison, the windows before and after uh, we show you, uh, you know, a group that are inspecting the window frame in preparation for drilling holes to simulate bullets that were not fired. Then we have another photograph of pink rods extending from the holes they drilled that are all parallel to one another, 90 degrees to the window frame. No one with any experience with firearms would be taken in. I mean, this is simply absurd. And you, the, the flag is at full mast. You come down just to the right. There's a familiar figure with his arms crossed leaning against the wall. Wayne Carver, medical examiner, awaiting the arrival of his portable mortuary tent. There's crime scene up for a crime that is yet to be committed in the first edition. What we explained, we thought that it had been taken the morning of the 14th. It turns out after shadow analysis, it was actually taken the evening of the 13th. They were setting these things up. Yeah. But it's simply, simply absurd. You, you mentioned uh, uh, Adam Lanza making his way into the school. 
Uh, he didn't kick in the window. Actually, it was blown out with a slug from a shotgun that was in a wood, wood and a little wooden bookcase there. And the idea that he came in there is contradicted by the fact that the glass lying on the carpet is not crushed or ground into the carpet, which also gives the lie to about uh, a dozen to 16 Connecticut state troopers who gave sworn oaths of affidavit under oath that they had entered the school going in that hole. Now, listen, the Three Stooges would be better, do better, because, say, Larry would go in, and then he'd come and open the door for for, for, for the others. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and the police take great pride in their uniforms. They're not going to enter this opening in the prospect. They might have their uniform cut. But again, look, it's contradicted by the fact that the glass is just fresh. It's just sitting there, not ground into that. So... That Wolfgang made that discovery of the of all of these Connecticut State Police officers lying through their teeth. But then, as I say, the whole off was being run by the Connecticut State Police under the auspices of FEMA. And interestingly, when uh, Infowars, when the book was banned on the 19th of November, I, and I immediately released it to the public, uh, less than a month after it gone on sale, having sold nearly 500 copies, I mean, it was going to be a bestseller. Uh, it, it, they put up an article that included that photograph I described of the, the SWAT vehicle present, but it, it it had the caption "Image Credit Connecticut State Police." So it was up for 38 minutes. They had like 138 comments, uh, but they took it down. And I think it's because obviously the Connecticut State Police took this photograph that proves that it was a hoax. You've implicated the Connecticut State Police and the fact that Infowars took it down ought to be a source of concern for all of us. Ooh, yeah, it absolutely is. And, you know, I talk about this with people. They say, well, I trust Alex Jones and in Infowars because he talks about Sandy Hook. He's called it a fake. And, you know, he's kind of walked it back here and there. But to me, the bigger picture is if you're treating Sandy Hook as an anomaly, you're missing the point because Sandy Hook can't be separated from Charleston, can't be shooted, separated from Littleton or the movie theater or any of the other shootings. To me, these are all the same type of operation. And so, uh, yeah, Sandy Hook has been utterly exposed and it kind of gave lie to the idea that the media reports anything. All they do is they repeat what they're told. They don't actually investigate. And so the fact that this would implicate the state police um, gives you a fairly good indication of why they're so aggressive in defending this story because you have common criminality how many people are in on this thing and I hear this a lot of times you talk about alternative interpretations of mainstream stories and people will say well there's no way you could have a conspiracy that big too many people would know about it and and my thinking on that is well they just don't understand how the world works how well there were about 100,000 involved in the Manhattan Project to develop the atomic bomb. They never talked about it. We had these uh, experiments, uh, the Tuskegee experiments, allowing syphilis to be developed among black prisoners. Uh, a lot of people were involved. They didn't talk about it. The moon landing hoax is elaborate, easily provable. Today, they didn't talk about it. I mean, you know. That's just a silly complaint. That's all. They have nothing else to offer, so they make that kind of appeal. The fact is, there were lots of payoffs. Uh, the, 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 those who were hired to demolish the school itself were uh, required to sign lifetime gag orders to not talk about anything they saw or did not see, which would have included no blood on the floor, no pockmarks on the wall. 
the uh, uh, school board received a grant of $50 million to build a new kindergarten through elementary, which was the Sandy Hook School. I did a survey across country. The average expense for a, a kindergarten through elementary is only $7 million. So they got seven times seven million for a school uh, they really didn't need. They actually have had the you know demographers in there to explain that Sandy Hook had more schools than it needed. But the fact is, this one had been abandoned in 2008. Wolfgang, by the way, has discovered that there was a nearby, about 15 or 20 minutes away, middle school that had been abandoned called Chalk Hill School, and that they were setting up to send the the the, the purported the imaginary students from Sandy Hook to Chalk Hill after the shooting so they'd have some place to put the students only they were making these arrangements before the shooting took place by by a person who was actually in the high school not in the ordinary administrative chain so that the if you did a search you know for the documentation for this uh, 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 covert activity it would be difficult to find but Wolfgang has all the documents for delivering milk and food and all that to Chalk Hill that were set up before the shooting. Uh, this is analogous to Parkland, by the way, where the permit for the March for Our Lives, which was held on the 24th of, uh, of, of March itself, uh, uh, was allegedly based upon the February 14th Valentine Day shooting at Parkland, but it turns out that the standard protocols for the, the District of Columbia Mayor's Special Event Task Force require the submission of a permit request six months minimally in advance of the event if you're going to close any roadways, which means they were actually beginning the permit progress, uh, process back in August or September. Yep, that's right. I, I, it's funny you bring that up. I called that one because I, I now, uh, analyzed this Parkland thing uh, quite extensively, and I remember with some friends, I was like, you know, there's no way you could have a shooting on Valentine's Day. And then less than six weeks later, have yeah. a big protest like that. This had to be coordinated. And on that yeah. note, what do you think about the term crisis actor exploding the way it did after the Parkland shooting? Well, it's very appropriate. I mean, you know, I mean, here's a here's an amusing example. Uh, Charlottesville was also complete fabrication. Uh, not not the the fight, but which was organized where George Soros bust in Antifa and Black Lives Matter. Matter people and the the mayor had the Charlottesville police stand down, and then the governor used the National Guard to channel the peaceful protesters into this violent confrontation. But but the alleged event of a you know a protester driving into a crowd uh, that that was all stage managed. That was all arranged. The, the, the vehicles they had two different vehicles, Dodge Challengers, one with a black stripe, one not one with a sunroof, one not. Two different drivers. The twenty year old diagnosed schizophrenic who wears dark, thick prescription glasses, who was supposed to be the driver, but it was actually driven by a 32-year-old military veteran who commands a battalion of reserves in Ohio. Uh, they, they did two or three different takes. You have some takes where there's the one vehicle and nothing around it. You have another take, there's the one vehicle, and then there's a black Toyota pickup truck beside it. But there's the most spectacular is where the vehicle crashes into the back of two vans that had actually been there stationary for about five minutes before the event took place with no drivers. They didn't want the drivers in the vehicles because they were worried they might suffer whiplash or injury. So they just parked the vehicles there and let it come along 
It's all totally phony. And I sent this stuff with video proof of exactly what I'm telling you to 85 members of the Department of History at the University of Virginia, to the administration of the University of Virginia, to members of the city council for, for Charlottesville. I had a special affection for what is known as Mr. Jefferson's University, having taught there twice. Uh, when I was denied tenure at the University of Kentucky for stepping on too many toes, they immediately hired me as visiting associate professor. And when I was there, Virginia was ranked number one among all public universities in the United States. So they gave me, uh, you know, as a visitor, the promotion I'd been denied at Kentucky. In fact, it would take me 10 years to wind up getting another permanent position when I was hired as a full professor with tenure on the Duluth campus of the University of Minnesota in 1987, where I'd have the last 19 years of my 35-year career. But they also brought me back as visiting full professor in the spring of 1985, uh, so I care a great deal about the University of Virginia. I thought they'd want to know the facts that the community and indeed the nation was being played. And I got exactly one response from a woman chaired in the Department of History saying she was embarrassed that I had anything to do with the University of Virginia. But frankly, it's uh, disgraceful that you have these historians uh, in uh, Mr. Jefferson's university who would allow uh, uh, Charlottesville uh, to be played, the public to be played, they'd know about it, they'd be informed, they'd be sent the evidence that proves it and do nothing about it. So, you know, uh, uh, it's just truly, truly disgraceful behavior. I, I, I am shocked by it to this day, as you can obviously infer from my attitude as I'm emoting. Well, yeah, that's where I started what I call anti-media network. It's antimedia.network. And what it is right now, it's just it's a blog and it's me uh, dissecting the various psyops, the big ones, the small ones. But basically, my point here, I'm not against the media companies. I'm against this mediated fake reality that we almost have no choice but to um, accept. We can't opt out of it. And even if you provide a burden of proof falsifying it, they treat it like it's unfalsifiable. And I find it completely irresponsible when 20 minutes after a school shooting starts, the president already tweets his condolences. It's like, Mr. President, you don't know that this thing has been properly investigated. And another thing I've noticed with a lot of these shootings, why are these children, like in Parkville, why are they, the witnesses, being interviewed by the media before they ever talk to the police? Shouldn't well, the, the police intervene right there? Oh, that's a great point. That's a great point. Sure, absolutely. In fact, uh, uh, Sane Progressive, this really quite wonderful woman, her first name is actually Debbie. I, I adore her. She has done wonderful videos about Las Vegas and about Parkland. She went over the aerial footage from Parkland again and again and again and discovered, although the school had 3,500 students, there are only a couple of dozen that are visible here anywhere. Uh, they sent home the students. They closed the school at one o'clock because it was a holiday uh, and only retained a few dozen to participate as crisis actors to follow up. And I never actually got back to that key point about Charlottesville. Turns out that the claim was that a woman named Heather Heyer had been killed in this event, but actually we have a studied and it turns out she died the following day of a heart attack, but that the woman who played her mother, Heather Heyer's mother, uh, in Charlottesville, also played the mother of Victoria Soto, one of the teachers allegedly killed at Sandy Hook. I mean, it's that bad. It's that blatant. 
uh, and I, you know, I published this widely. Now at Parkland, uh, uh, so they sent home all the students. This is why we don't have hundreds of videos. I mean, you know, every kid there, this is a, a, a high rent uh, community, one of the wealthiest, Broward County, one of the wealthiest in the country, rather like Westchester County, you know, outside of New York and in, in Connecticut, one of the wealthiest communities in the country. And all those kids have cell phones, which have a video ability. We ought to have had absolutely hundreds of videos. In fact, I'm only aware of one or two. There's one released by LiveLeaks that was 52 seconds long. And you can see kids doing their best to simulate crying as though they were in fear. Uh, which which doesn't inhibit one of the girls being worried about her bottled water. And by the way, bottled water is ubiquitous in yes. all these pills. Yeah, know? I call that out. I say I always look for lanyards and bottled waters. <laughs> That's good. It's in every one, lanyards and bottled waters. Yeah, you're right on top of it. You're right on top of it. And, uh, and another is on her iPod, and you got this kid pulling his putts, and then you look, and there's what initially might seem to be a body, but you look closer – it has no arms and no head. It's a training dummy on a pool of fake blood. And there are persons that appear to be police officers rushing in and out, uh, which makes you think, wow, that Parkland Police Force is really Johnny on the spot since they were there so promptly. If you did not know that Parkland had given up its police force in 2004 and doesn't have one, you could be easily played. I mean, this is all so fraudulent, so embarrassing, so shocking. Uh, David Hogg, Emma Gonzalez, obviously were casted for this role. Uh, uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz was the uh, uh, the producer. Uh, Dina Katz, who's a Hollywood producer, director, Dancing with the Stars, was the director. Sheriff uh, Scott Israel was the local arrangements chairman. He, he, they actually did have shooters in the building firing simulated uh, simunition at simulated ammunition made out of beeswax and laundry detergent. And it'll sting, you know, set up a, 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 a red spot like a zinger, but it doesn't penetrate the skin, which is why you had several of the students there who were claiming they'd been one shot in the stomach, stop, shot in the chest, but she's out and about perfectly fine in about a week. You got another walking around almost immediately with Band-Aids on her legs. Well, listen. If you were shot with an AR-15, which is a high-velocity bullet that does tremendous damage, you'd have broken legs. You wouldn't be able to walk, much less cover it with a Band-Aid. If you were shot in the chest or the stomach with an AR-15, you'd be dead. I mean, this is all ridiculous, and it's further proof, just as we had at, at uh, Las Vegas, that the whole thing was fake. Paul Craig Roberts, for example, was, received a lengthy letter from a military physician with extensive experience with military, you know, victims of military gunshots, high velocity, and he was explaining how he'd reviewed all the footage for the victims in the hospitals in Las Vegas, and he was forced to conclude that none of them had been shot, that they were all fake. He got another letter from an American trauma surgeon confirming what the military surgeon had observed and, and noticing that they weren't even connected to the blood pressure diagnostic equipment. I mean, this is absurd. What, uh, uh, oh, six months or so ago, I lost balance in my bedroom in the evening, and we went down to urgent care to make sure I, there was nothing uh, wrong. And uh, from the moment they brought me in, they connected me to the blood pressure monitor to the moment they gave me a clean bill of health and I went home. So obviously, fakery, a Facebook friend reached out to the three closest hospitals to the arena where the shooting ostensibly took place. All three told her when she asked, 
had they had any gunshot admittees, they all three said, no, they had not. One of them cheerfully added, I think you're calling about the drill that took place, but no one was actually shot. Check with the local police. Uh, we've, we've gone through 33 videos and you hear lots of sounds of shots, but no one's actually being shot. Uh, uh, we have studied the obituaries. Mona Alexis Presley has proven brilliant at this. She's found they were based on people who died in different states or on different dates or from different causes of death. Dan Cromer, who's an IT guy, really put his finger on how it was done. They used a pre-recorded soundtrack uh, a very high quality of the sound of machine guns and military uh, uh, rifles firing, which they played over the PA system, which was then coordinated with special visual effects, including flashing light on the fourth floor in the middle of the Mandalay Bay Hotel. And this is available many places. So the idea that only shots were fired from the 32nd floor of the wing is simply absurd. I mean, the most blatant evidence shows that can't possibly be the case. Except, of course, you have to put two and two together to realize this is only a simulation. Above it, there were three light flashes to simulate American military weapons would fire in three-shot blasts. We have another video where a guy turns to fire on the crowd. You can see the flash from his muzzle, but no one's hit because he's firing blanks. There's a brand new video about it called uh, Loose Chips. And I think that was to parallel loose chains, which Dylan Avery and two other young men produced about 9-11. So this is called loose chips. And he's got a whole lot of footage of people just walking around casually, nonchalantly, even though you can hear the sound of the machine gun because they know it's just a sound effect. So, you know, there's a tremendous amount of evidence here uh, where the medical evidence turns out to be especially important. And get this at Parkland, although there were supposed to be 17 victims uh, gee, at least a month or more ago, I published Dan Cromer, uh, well, Tony Mead, who done brilliant work on Sandy Hook, had noticed he couldn't find the obituaries for the Parkland victims, so Dan Cromer looked into it, and there were no uh, obituaries for the Parkland victims, so I posted a blog uh, from Dan Cromer demonstrating there were no obituaries for the Parkland victims, and within three hours of my publishing the blog, all of a sudden they appeared on a website but was, these were fake. Uh, it's a website where you can publish any, anything you want. They don't do any verification. That The serious website, I think it's called Ancestry.com, still to this day as we speak, does not have any bona fide obituaries for Parkland victims for the obvious reason there weren't any. And in fact, the sheriff kept four deputies out of Parkland because they weren't snapped in that it was a a hoax, and he was worried if they came in, they might actually shoot one of the participants and take him out by mistake. Wow. And, you know, one of the things that I like to analyze with all these events is, yeah, you can analyze the what you don't see, you know, the actual victims. You don't see any evidence of real mass casualty, the victims, the crisis actors. You never see tears. I haven't seen a single tear yet. Nobody cried, nobody died at any of these events. But one of the things I like to do is analyze the characters. So they always create some type of a caricature, a composite character to be the shooter. And he represents, like this guy from Parkville, he had a mega hat, so he's a Trump guy. Then he's a gun guy. Then he's probably a neo-Nazi. But then you look at the victims. And so you look at David Hogg and Emma, and right there I saw what they were doing with this whole thing. Emma was wearing a Beatles shirt, short hair like G.I. Jane, Apollo moon mission patch. So to me they were invoking the 60s. 
So the whole narrative was these kids know better than the adults. The adults created a warlike, violent world, so the kids need to lead the revolution, and they called it a children's crusade. And this whole narrative, this whole story was placed by the media, and the kids were being given like the moral high ground to lecture us about guns. And so, yeah, it's that, absurd. What do these kids know about guns? Not a damn thing. Frankly, I believe uh, one move that would be tremendously beneficial to the nation as a whole would be to reinstate the draft. You got young people now who have no military training, they have no discipline, they've never taken orders, they've never carried responsibility, and they're being put out front in a propaganda effort as though they knew something, were competent to address these issues. Uh, in fact, there are multiple levels of security that are compromised uh, if we uh, take away the guns of the nation, uh, family, home security. Uh, it, it, you call the police because there's an intruder breaking in. Well, it can take the police as long as 20 minutes to show up, and you're calling them because they're armed, because they have guns. Well, if you're not armed, since the mayhem tends to take place in the first uh, five or six minutes, it may be while you're waiting for the police to show up, your daughter's been raped, your wife has been murdered, you've been mugged. If you can't defend yourself, you're in a precarious position. Then in terms of local or community uh, security, uh, we have this uh, city, Deerfield, outside of Chicago, that is now banning uh, uh, weapons of its residents and fining them $1,000 a day if they don't surrender their weapons. And I say, well, what happens if there are riots in Chicago and they spill over into Deerfield and they start looting and maiming the people of Deerfield? They'll be helpless to defend themselves because the Deerfield City Council was so stupid. Uh, and in terms of national security, uh, oh, would you believe Emperor Hirohito contemplated invading the United States but was told by his highest-ranking military advisors it would be a mistake because there would be a sniper behind every blade of grass. We have a hundred million armed Americans. It's the greatest defense bulwark for national security any nation has ever had in history. And the idea of seeking to compromise it by taking away weapons that in, incidentally are not military weapons. These are technically, they use the word assault weapon for the AR-15, for example, uh, but it's a, it, it, it's a misnomer. It's purely for propaganda purpose, but I can't tell you how stupid it would be. And let me further undermine the following observation. It turns out that gun ownership and homicide rates are inversely related. That means uh, it, uh, unlike the claim that the more guns, the more homicides by guns, which is propagated by the liberal left and other proponents of gun control who have a nefarious agenda, the facts are the opposite. That worldwide, the greater the gun ownership, the lower the homicide rate. North America, United States, Canada have among the highest gun ownership rates in the world, also lowest homicide rates. Latin America, South America, Brazil, low gun ownership, high homicide rates. Uh, Africa, low gun ownership, high homicide rates. They're going through the bizarre experience in, in the UK now because they banned guns that they're having a surge of homicides because of knife attacks. They've actually surpassed the murder rate of New York City in London out of knife attacks. I did a, a piece about it that everyone ought to watch. It's entitled The Second Amendment in the Politics of Gun Control. And I think you can find it at 153news.net. But if you put in the title, it should tell you where you can find it. 
it, it might be actually on BitChute as well, but I think it's 153news.net, where I go through the whole story and talking about uh, the UK explaining, well, what are they going to, the, so now they're going to ban knives? What are they going to ban next? Potato peelers? And would you believe the following day, yes, they were talking about banning potato peelers. What could be more obvious as a social experiment than Chicago, which has among the most stringent gun control laws in the country, but also the highest homicide rates. In fact, a member of the Chicago City Council absurdly wanted to bring in the United Nations to deal with a gun control problem in Chicago, uh, circumventing you know, uh, other levels, such as the governor, the National Guard, or the president, or the you know, federal troops, and so forth. I mean, it was ridiculous. Can't we see that abandoning guns is, is, is the wrong solution? In fact, there are all kinds of studies. There's a book by a guy named John Lott you can get on uh, Amazon, The War on Guns, 2016, where he explains study after study has shown when you ban guns, crime goes up. Yeah, that case has been made ad nauseum, and it's so irresponsible that people could be so flippant about something like this, and it's because they have blind trust in the media, and they believe that the authorities can protect them. And yet, if you look at the actual events, and let's say these school shootings were real, well, the casualties are high. Nobody's protecting anybody. The authorities arrive after the fact, even if these things were real. And so, what I wanted to run by you was this. I'm starting to think that the reason why we have active shooter drills is partially, yeah, it's definitely to take the guns, but another part of it, I believe, is that the drills themselves allow the state to send in its troops to terrorize the kids and induce Stockholm Syndrome. I think that's very perceptive. In fact, I was discussing this in the last few days with a woman whose, whose daughter was at a school in New Jersey where they were doing an active shooter drill. I mean, why do you need to induce the fear uh, into students by having a drill which is completely unnecessary for an event that is highly unlikely to ever occur. I mean, it's a way of maintaining a sense of, uh, of tension in society. I think you put your finger exactly on it. Uh, they commonly conduct these drills vis-a-vis -vis real events so they can get the footage from the drill they can then claim to use during what's supposed to be the real event, but these are fabrications again and again and again. I mean, uh, that's very good. Very astute observation. You're on top of it. Yeah, so it would be then they're inducing Stockholm Syndrome, and then they're teaching the kids that anybody around you at any time could shoot you, even your best friend in class. So it's phones down, hands up, follow the guy with the gun. And this, yeah. this Stockholm Syndrome is uh, then compounded by the media reports that inflates the danger. And so I think what they're doing here is K-12 terror curriculum, train the kids to fear guns. So when they have kids, they won't even tell the kids to hold, they'll teach the kids that guns are bad. I think that's really good. I think that's very, very discerning on your part. I, you're, you're developing the argument further than I have myself. I like it very much. Great. Thank you. That's why I wanted to talk to you today. Um, I, I, I'm thinking that this might be an angle that gets people to understand, hey, what about the real victims? We're talking about these fake victims that we're fighting over. You know, Are they real? Are they fake kids? Well, what about the actual students who have to go under the desk, who have to hide in the closets, and who have to... I, I saw a video the other day that shocked me. It was ABC News was talking about this like a month ago, where they have an active shooter drill where they're actually pointing guns at preschoolers, at five-year-olds, little girls, and, and the, the kids are screaming. And to me, I'm thinking, that is straight-up 
terrorism. That's tr- terrorism right there. Get this. Even if you assume that the shootings were legit, which they are not, we didn't lose 17 students at Parkland, for example. But here's a piece based upon the, the assumption it was legit. 27 students and staff were killed in mass murders in the U.S. schools this year. That is revolting if you assume they were real. It shocks us as it should. It's also true that we don't know how to make sense of that number. There are almost 327 million of us here in the United States. 57 million attend school in grades K through 12. Is 27 murders a large number or a small one? How many of us die by other causes? Let's put the numbers into perspective. 156 people were murdered by gunfire in Chicago this year. There are only 9.6 million people living in the Chicago metropolitan area. It's an interesting comparison, but the results are shocking. You are over 100 times more likely to be killed with a gun in Chicago than to be killed by a mass murderer in the U.S. school. Think about that for a minute. If anti-gunners really want to protect children, then why aren't they protesting and rioting about gun violence in Chicago, which already has some of the strictest gun control laws in the U.S.? It makes absolutely no, no sense. Maybe we should blame the media. After all, they haven't given us other relevant information either like this. The results from government reports say that guns are used 200 times in self-defense For each time a gun is used in a homicide, and the vast majority of homicides are actually suicides. Women use a firearm to stop a sexual assault over 500 times every day. Why don't we know that? That's a great question. Why don't we know that? And you can bet that anti-gunners don't know this information either due to their steady diet of mainstream media-based talking points. The truth is there on the table. The fact of the matter is that guns are saving many more lives than they take. Never back down from asserting your right to bear arms. Yeah, and one more thing about the media and their role here in shaping our perceptions. Uh, If you take into account how many of these events have been faked, well, the world we live in is far safer than the one they tell us about. And so the media, to me, is almost like serving as an instrument of terrorism for the government. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I agree completely. That's absolutely right. It's a uh, Television in particular has become the greatest propaganda vehicle history has ever known, uh, particularly for hardworking families, you know, having trouble keeping food on the table, a roof over their head. They get their news and sound bites. If they hear the same thing from several sources such as NBC, CNN, MSNBC, they think it must be true. They don't realize they're all reading from the same script, how much this is orchestrated. The intelligence agencies began infiltrating the media back in the 1950s, Operation Mockingbird. By 1975, already, uh, William Colby, then its head, testified to Congress that the agency owned everyone of any significance in the media. That was 1975. It's become much worse today. But the fact of the matter is that the Internet has made it possible to circumvent the mainstream media. So now the great problem the deep state confronts is managing the Internet, which, as Preston James has observed in his new book, now available at Moonrock Books, the new Gutenberg Press, uh, too much truth is getting out there and it's driving him crazy. So they're 
so they're using all kinds of algorithms and techniques. They're banning all kinds of videos. I've had so many of my videos banned, and, and those who have interviewed me have had so many of their interviews banned that Mike Adams, who's been rated the number two most influential figure on the Internet after Alex Jones actually published an interview with me entitled Most Dangerous Mind in America, interviewed on fake news and extreme censorship because he noticed this pattern. Now, he's done something about it. He's created a new platform that appears to be secure entitled Real.Video, and it's going to be possible to archive, you know, to, to place our videos where they will not be taken down. I'm going to have a blog there and a video archive. But, uh, you know, meanwhile, you can find my most important stuff up at either 153news.net or at bitshoot, B-I-T-C-H-U-T-E, where I have uh, overviews about 9-11 uh, and about JFK, both of which are entitled uh, JFK, who is responsible and why, 9-11, who is responsible and why, and other important contributions there. There have been some on DTube that turn out not to play. In other words, this is another form of sabotage. Uh, you can upload a video there, but you try to play it, and it goes about two minutes, and it gets stuck. They're using these, uh, these uh, AI routines, in other words, al uh, programs based on algorithms that are designed to take out anything that deals with uh, topics that are forbidden for the deep state, Sandy Hook being a prime example, where Mike Adams had done an interview with me back in 2015 about the banning of the book. And he was just dumbfounded to discover that this interview from 2015 had been taken down. In fact, his whole channel was taken down because he, he had interviewed me. And I was very impressed that when he got his channel back, although he lost, you know, 200,000 subscribers, he had uh, uh, something like 1,700 videos. Uh, when he came back, he did that interview with me and put it up. Uh, I mean, that impresses me tremendously, you guys showing great dedication and integrity. Even, even Richie Allen, who has what I regard as the best talk show in the world, uh, out of uh, Ireland, across the continent and the UK, uh, did an interview with me. And then he found he had been struck, too, and was taken off of the air. So, you know, don't be surprised if they come after you. You might get a strike for just doing this interview with me here today. Well, what really activated me again was back is October 1st. Uh, within 20 minutes of hearing about the Las Vegas event, I started a live stream and I was analyzing it, um, shifting the burden of proof to the media, something I call auto-hoaxing, you know the term, auto-hoax. So I'm on a live stream saying, I'm just going to call it a hoax until they prove otherwise. Well, 30 minutes into my live stream, and I had a small channel, YouTube terminated my channel. And so I've been fighting with YouTube uh, since. I experienced the same problem with DTube. And I just recently got on 153 because they are actively suppressing all this information that might get people to look at what the media is really doing. 153 is very good. Jason Boss is excellent. He really cares about freedom of speech. And I think that's a great place for you to be archiving your stuff. And, and, and perhaps you want to apply for a channel at uh, real.video. Uh, I think that you're just the kind of person that they ought to welcome with open arms. 
I'll look into it. And then um, as far as your books go, I did see that you had um, a book on Sandy Hook that was taken off of Amazon. Um, what kind of issues do you run into when trying to publish a story, I'm um, sorry, a book about Sandy, like Sandy Hook or any of these events? Do you get blowback from, quote, survivors or any of these agitators? No, 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 because they know I've got the goods. They, they, they will find weaker, softer targets than me. I mean, uh, because of my background as a scholar, uh, as a professional researcher, you know, I put together a solid case. I don't go out and make claims that I can't substantiate and prove. Plus, I have the practice of bringing together the best experts in the world. I talk about the, you know, the in my first JFK book, Assassination Science, published in 1998, which shattered the cover-up, exposing that the X-ray had been altered and so forth. I mean, uh, 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 I brought in experts, uh, uh, a world authority on the human brain, for example, who is also an expert on wound ballistics, a PhD in physics, who is also an MD and board certified in radiation oncology, which is a treatment of cancer using x-ray therapy, a physician who had been in trauma room one when JFK's moribund body was brought in, and then two days later was responsible for the care and treatment of his alleged assassin. I get the best people together to do this research. And, you know, I've continued that practice ever since. So I'm a hard target. I mean, if they want to go after me, it's absurd on its face because I have done so much to expose governmental complicity in JFK, 9-11, Wellstone, who was taken down by a sophisticated use of an EMP to cause the all the computerized components on the plane to blow up, and then they had to make sure it, it was destroyed. They had somehow coated the plane to guarantee it would burn uh, for seven hours a fuselage. So ironically, at the crash, I, you have the wings that have broken off when it goes through this uh, uh, group of trees. The tail's broken off, but there's a fuselage burning intensely for seven hours, even though they store the fuel in the wings. They couldn't put it out. They had to reduce... Uh, the the plane to charcoal so they couldn't discover that these computerized components had been blown uh, because it would then be possible to track the source of exactly how it had been done. Uh, I've had two books banned by Amazon, but the the first two I published, which were done through CreateSpace, which is actually an Amazon subsidiary, uh, the second being, and I suppose we didn't go to the moon either, which Mike Palachek, who's the series editor, where I edit each of the books, but he's the overall series editor, suggested as a great title for a book to follow, Nobody Died at Sandy Hook, since one might well reply, oh, and I suppose we didn't go to the moon either. Well, well of course, we didn't go to the moon either, uh, but uh, the fact is that uh, 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 Amazon banned it, not because of that, but because it includes four chapters on the Holocaust, where the ADL in 2017 asked Jeff Bezos, who owns Amazon, to ban any books that disputed the official narrative of the Holocaust of six million Jews having been put to death in gas chambers using Zyklon B, uh, which is provably false, and in fact is proven false in the book. So Bezos obligingly agreed and banned over 200 books that had anything to do with the Holocaust. Mike and I realized the threat to freedom of the press was so enormous that we found it moonrockbooks.com so we could have a way of publishing our books and making them available to the public that that Amazon uh, couldn't affect. 
Excellent. Excellent. That needs to happen. And now it's it's easier than ever with any platform you can sell downloads, PDFs, create space. It's I mean, to me this needs to happen. Just what happened in the media needs to happen to publishing. And so I'm glad to see that you're putting your work into into books, into hard copy. And speaking of the Holocaust, um I was looking into the shooting at Paula Alto with Elliot Rogers. You know, the the the, the um guy he was shooting up women or something because women didn't like him. And you know, out there by Santa Barbara. And his dad was the one who was a cinematographer uh, at Sandy Hook. And, of course, right. the writer of the hung- – uh, he was a cinematographer for, I'm sorry, The Hunger Games. And the, really? the writer of yeah. The Hunger Games lived in Sandy Hook. So this- I know. I know. Okay. It, 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 some well, of us have speculated that she might actually have authored the script for Sandy Hook. That's what I was thinking. Well, it turns out, though, Elliot Rogers' grandfather did concentration camp war photography, World War II. Oh. So I'm like, oh, it runs in the family. Propaganda, atrocity propaganda. Let let me give you the bottom line there. They did use Zyklon B to kill body lice because they wanted to inhibit the spread of typhus and dysentery in the camps. They wanted to preserve the health of the inmates because these were labor camps. These weren't extermination centers and you can't get work out of a corpse. The International Committee of the Red Cross was keeping copious records on every death, the age, the sex, the nationality, the race, the ethnicity, and the cause of death. Uh, They recalibrated their totals in 1993 and concluded that from all the camps combined, the total was 296,081, none of whom died from being put to death in a a gas chamber using Zyklon. Well, and I guess, you know, one final point, I guess, and this kind of brings it up, is that you know, a lot of people start researching this stuff. They look at Sandy Hook or 9-11, but we have to remember, this has been going on for a long time. We're just now noticing. Yes. Well, the whole concept of a false flag, you know, began in pirate days when they'd fly the, fly the flag of a friendly vessel to get near, near the target and then bring it down and put up the skull and bones when they attacked. So, I mean, that's the origin of false flag, you know, being deceptive or blaming responsibility on someone who is not responsible, such as 19 Islamic terrorists on 9-11 when it was actually brought to us, compliments of the CIA, the neocons, and the Department of Defense, and the Mossad. Yeah, I, you know, I remember the first time I think I heard you, you were on Sean Hannity's show. And I, at the time, I was a believer. And so I read Sean Hannity's book, Deliver Us From Evil and all these things. And now that I'm looking back, I'm thinking whether or not he knows the truth. By spreading these lies, he enabled death. And so that's why I think it's important to dispel these myths, like the myth of the school shooter, the myth of the Islamic terrorist under every bed. These myths that they create actually have real-world consequences. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. They do. And if they are able to ban our guns and you even have members of Congress who are proposing to confiscate, confiscate weapons— or abolish the Second Amendment. I mean, for God's sake, these are people who swore an oath to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States, which includes the, the all the amendments there, too, including the Second Amendment. They're violating their oath of office. They deserve to be impeached. They do not deserve to hold high office in the United States when they're advocating the destruction of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. Absolutely, absolutely. They've uh, It's sedition at the highest level. And uh, one final point here. You mentioned, okay, the moon, the moon landing. Okay, I don't know anybody who thinks the thing actually happened, who's looked into it. You know, a lot of people just passively accept it. Um, what about more recent 
uh, things brought to us by the space agencies, like the space station. Have you looked into any of the anomalies suggesting that the International Space Station might actually be a ground-based movie theater or movie oh, stage? Yeah. I haven't looked into that, but there, the, you know, I had heard the suggestion before. Uh, we are capable of, you know, low Earth orbit. I mean, that's not a problem. We didn't have the propulsion power to escape low Earth or orbit. The uh, the the computers that they claim to have used to get to the moon weren't even functional. The Van Allen radiation belt would have made it impossible. In fact, there are three recent developments worth mentioning here. A couple of years ago, a spokesman from NASA said that the greatest obstacle to a manned mission to Mars was a Van Allen radiation belt. But it's been around as long as Earth, about four and a half billion years. So if it's a problem now going to Mars, obviously there's a problem getting to the moon. We could not have done it. Number two, uh, they discovered a treasure trove of moon footage. Uh, you know, uh, uh, that that would have been, if it were real, the most priceless footage ever taken by the hand of man, which NASA destroyed. And the reason they destroyed it, of course, is because modern techniques of analysis would have revealed that, in fact, the whole thing was fabricated or fake. Uh, I got into this when I was in London with my wife on my second visit to a city that I adore, and we turned on the BBC, and there was this fascinating program giving one scientific proof after another. We hadn't gone to the moon, how it had been faked, how uh, they had just taken regular moon buggy and, and walking and so forth and put it into slow motion, that they weren't leaping high enough to be authentic in a gravitational field only one-sixth as strong as Earth, and that you had moon buggy tracks with no tracks, moon buggies with no tracks in front, behind, or in the middle, although you also had boot prints. My opinion is that it's probably moon dust, since there's no atmosphere, no moisture, I don't think moon dust can actually hold an imprint any more than the sands of the Sahara can hold an imprint. But either it can or it can't, and we have it either way, because if it can't, then you got the book boot print, which has to be fake. If it can, you got the moon buggy there with no tracks, which means it had to be set down by a crane. You've actually got some footage where you can see wires attached to the astronauts and so forth. Uh, that's entitled uh, Conspiracy Theory, Did Man Land on the Moon? It's still available. Check it out, because it still remains viable, devastating for two. And the third... The third development is, in many ways, the capstone. Uh, NASA has put out a request for assistance, offering a $20,000 reward for disposing of its space poop problem. They explain that the space diapers they have today can handle 14 hours worth of human excrement. But in fact, these trips back and forth to the moon took seven or eight days. What they have done thereby is to reveal that the whole moon landing project was nothing but a gigantic pile of space poop. Brilliant. Brilliant. And yeah, they do have an obsession with that. I, I actually heard that on the ISS, they're testing out a way to recycle it and put it into a 3D printer to make various tools and, and uh, I guess utensils they might need. Now, so if you do look into the space station as being a possible... Uh, ground-based movie production, I would look for three things. Augmented virtual reality, harnesses, and green screens. And then on, yeah. the, on, the, and then on the spacewalks, and this is not just for our, uh, this is for like the Chinese, the Japanese, all the different space agencies, their spacewalks look pretty much the same, but what we're often finding are bubbles. So it looks like the same pools where they train for the spacewalks might be where they're actually filming it. 
to do it as simulation. And so then what I'm thinking is they could easily be faking the space station itself uh, with a combination of pre-filmed spacewalks, maybe some parabolic flights, and a lot of green screen and a lot of harness. And so I'm thinking this is the new moon landing in terms of where are the researchers going? Because I think the moon itself, the Apollo landing has been debunked. But now I think the space station is something that serious minds ought to take a look into because a lot of money is going into it. And I'm really starting to question if it's even up there. Yeah, I, I think he raised a perfectly legitimate issue. You cannot take for granted the authenticity, the accuracy, or the truth of any report on a politically significant issue coming from the mainstream media. And I look forward to future investigations about the space station. I think it's a worthy project, and I appreciate your emphasis upon it here today. Great. Well, uh, uh, Jim, thank you for taking the time. Um, I'm sure my uh, subscribers will love this. I'm at antimedia.network where I will post this. And I'm going to promote your link to Moonrock Books. Any other links or websites would you like me to? Uh... Well, I have a blog, jamesfetzer.blogspot.com. I do a show on Revolution Radio Tuesdays and Thursdays called The Raw Deal from 4 to 6 p.m. Uh, Eastern Time. Uh, uh, other other shows, you know, you, you can find them out and about. I do a couple of weekly news update shows. One runs an hour and a half, another two hours. Uh, the second show, the two hours, is called Truth Versus News, capital N-E-W dollar sign. Uh, because what's in the news isn't the truth, and the truth isn't in the news. So it's uh, you know that's with Scott Bennett, who's a former Army Intel and PSYOPs officer, and Michael J. Anderson, who's a Vietnam uh, vet who's become a, a political activist. The other show, an hour and a half, is with Louisa. It's called The Goldfish Report, and you can find it under that heading. I'm also now engaged in Twitter so that if you have access to Twitter, you can look for my tweets, which are about latest developments in relation to these various issues and the, the, you know, the faking of this Russian hacking business and the other nonsense that goes along with it because it's all totally fabricated. It did not happen. In fact, the bottom line is the Russian hacking meme was made up by John Podest and Robbie Mook within 48 hours of Hillary's concession speech to uh, uh, obfuscate the incompetent campaign they'd done to draw attention away from the contents of WikiLeaks revelation that led to Pizzagate, where John Podesta himself appears to be pedophile-in-chief, and from Hillary's own entanglements with Russia, where she sold off 20% of U.S. uranium reserves with the approval of Barack Obama to Russia for a $145 million contribution to the Clinton Foundation, I observed that if Julius and Ethel Rosenberg received the electric chair for sharing atomic secrets with the then Soviet Union, what do Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama deserve for selling off 20% of U.S. uranium to Russia? Think about it. For a $145 million bribe? Yeah, anytime I see these big soap operas, these big dramas that never end, like Russian bots, it's like, well, what's going on behind the scenes? Because they put out the clickbaity stuff to keep people from asking deep questions, and then those of us who question things outside of their parameters are derided as heretics, conspiracy theorists, kooks, haters, bigots, any type of phobia. What is it? Deplorables, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one other, I'll just throw in one other as a finale. I also do a weekly new JFK show with Gary King, Larry Rivera, and Don Fox. And I believe Gary has those archived at 153news.net. 
this is ongoing. The latest research on 9-11, on JFK, and may I add, Larry Rivera has a brand new book entitled The the, the Four JFK Horsemen at MoonRockBooks.com, which is some of the most brilliant work ever done on JFK. Excellent. All right. I'll look into it, and I'll put these links in the blog, and I'll go ahead and send you a link via Skype um, after I have that posted. So uh, thanks again for taking the time, Jim, and it's good speaking to you. My great pleasure. Anytime. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. All right, that was uh, Jim H. Fetzer, those of you listening. Um, this is going to be posted at antimedia.network in case you missed any part of it. And I'll have links and everything to what we discussed.